big a Star Wars fan are you? What did you feel the first time when you saw the Millennium Falcon jump into hyperspace in Episode 4, A New Hope? And do you still feel the same way when you see it again today? Are you 50 years old plus and still have a lightsaber on your bookshelf? What is the future of mechanical prosthetics in the medical industry? You think about the difference between cyborgs such as Darth Vader and robots such as R2-D2 and C-3PO. And finally, how do you build the Death Star? More importantly, how does the Death Star move? And finally, how does the Death Star generate enough power to create a beam of energy that can destroy a planet? I hope you will join me in this five-part exploration on the science of Star Wars with Dr. Ben Lachlan. Ben Lachlan is a healthcare executive, and in addition to his medical expertise, he is also a degreed astrophysicist, so we can get to the truth behind some of the most exciting aspects of Star Wars. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special five-part podcast series on greetings and felicitations. In this series, Ben and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about some of the science of Star Wars. We're going to explore scenes from each one of the original three episodes that help illustrate some of these points and talk about where science may take us in the future. It's one of the most fun series that I've done, and I know you will enjoy it. This special series on greetings and felicitations, The Science of Star Wars, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode two, we take up Dueling with Lightsabers. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Dr. Ben Lockwin for our five-part exploration of the science of Star Wars. In this episode, we're going to take up the topic near and dear to every five-year-old boy's heart, which is how do you fight with a lightsaber? Um, I'm much older than five years old, but guess what? I still have a lightsaber. So um, for our scene, we're going to, of course, talk about the duel between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi, which occurs in the uh, first movie. Uh, In this, uh, Obi-Wan sacrifices himself so that... Luke, Han, and Princess Leia can get away with the uh, the plans for the Death Star. So, Ben, uh, welcome back. Thanks. You know, I feel like we're going to slowly dismantle everyone's fun, but let's do it. First of all, uh, could, can we can we conceive of the feasibility of a saber made of light or some other type of energy, Ben? You know, I think from the point at which everyone's seen this, it's almost like in the prior episode, seeing that radial starfield's rarefaction where it stretches, and you just think, oh my God, this is so cool. Lightsabers are much the same in terms of level of coolness, but they present a particular challenge in the Star Wars, well, not in the Star Wars universe. Uh, They work great in the Star Wars universe. In the actual universe, they have several problems. Uh, The first, I guess, is they're so cool you just want them to be a thing. But the issue is there's really no way uh, to contain a beam of energy or plasma in a 
constrained and solid state a few feet from the handle. So they're not a thing. Um, at the energy they're apparently possessing, so these things cut open doors and lop off limbs, etc. that the blade would ionize the air and everywhere they traveled would leave a cloud of stripped electrons in the form of a plasma trail. And maybe that would be a cool effect in itself. Um, that's kind of what lightning does too. It creates a plasma trail. Um, if you were to wield a lightsaber, it should also bring about a series of shock waves like lightning does as it travels through the atmosphere and superheats the air. So there wouldn't just be this wicked hum, but a series of thunderclap kind of shock waves. But if I think about this handle, um, which is about the, you know, it came, the idea came from the, the Japanese Ronin, I presume, and samurai swords and things. It's about a handle and a hilt the size of a regular sword, but it's shooting out this beam of energy and the handle contains something which which hides the blade or or constrains it. And even if we think about the handle having, a, I don't know, a miniature black hole in it, which only operates in the up direction, so it doesn't suck the handle in and everything else, uh, and constrains the beam to some length, uh, it couldn't happen. I mean, the photons would either escape and shoot out like a flashlight, or they wouldn't. Um, and if they didn't shoot out all the way, they would orbit the handle in a sphere. Um, black holes have this property too. Black holes have what's called a photon sphere where captured light uh, basically orbits them around this shell at a certain distance. Um, so it, I think not possible to constrain it. And I'm also not really clear if the, it seems like the blades are kind of semi-solid, but maybe they're just energy because they look like they have some uh, physical impact to them. So I don't know. Well, let's, uh, as we did in episode one, let's make an assumption that you have uh, secured the problem of constraining a beam of protons or even uh, a, a bolt of lightning that comes out. What's going to happen when they hit each other? Will they uh, counteract each other as we see in the movies? Will they slice through each uh, beam as we see them slice through bodies or flesh that, uh, that humans might have or, or other uh, materials, um, whether animal, vegetable, or mineral. How, how could we think through that, Ben? Yeah, I think if it's, if it's, let's say, a beam of photons, it would be almost like passing two flashlight beams through each other. So there's no interaction. In fact, most of it's empty space. So in between the individual light particles, the, the energy packets that are carrying the glow. Uh, a lot of it's empty space, so these would pass right through each other pretty much unimpeded, so there wouldn't be a solid beam there. But I think um, if, you, if you tried to make this, this happen, um, you would run into some issues, like by passing them through each other. Uh, it, it probably, one would not block the other is is basically where that's going and so even if you could somehow constrain this beam to whatever the blade is four feet long or something um they would pass through but we do know and we use lasers a lot in in many different industrial fields certainly they can slice through metal um stone 
I mean, there's laser etching, a whole lot of applications. So the idea of a laser carrying this kind of energy isn't foreign to us. But um, the, the constraint of the beam aside, it would, it would basically be a transparent uh, ray of photons, very energetic light. So uh, there would be nothing solid in there to deflect as a surface. But... Well, I think about that scene you mentioned when when Vader slashes Obi Wan Kenobi, that blade would have vaporized his cloak, which doesn't seem to happen in the movie. The cloak falls down on the ground apparently undamaged, um, and with that much energy in the blade, you also should feel radiating heat. It's hot and can cut through metal blasters and doors and piping, but the heat's not perceptible to the user's hand, which is one inch away. Uh, so I would say check that off as fiction for many reasons. Um, but in the case of like Darth Vader slicing off Luke's hand, what's interesting about it is the energy contained in there would be so high that it would instantly cauterize the wound and therefore not bleed. So I think that part of it uh, is, is fairly accurate. But that same heat that would have cauterized the wound should burn the hand of the wielder. So, Ben, one of the things that is not clear to me from the movies is when they use the lightsaber, uh, the Jedi will often use them, and indeed Darth Vader does, to deflect uh, laser guns or something, uh, some other type of weapon that might throw a projectile. I don't think they really are uh, <clears throat> low enough on the food chain that they use metal projectiles, such as we use with rifles and pistols, but I've always wondered, do the lightsabers uh, uh, dissipate the energy? Do they uh, somehow, um, are they able to capture that energy into the field of the lightsaber, or does it just bounce off? It should pass right through. So if we assume the blasters are also firing some constrained bolt or, or uh, short pulse of energy, those um, energetic photons should pass right through the lightsaber. Or conversely, the lightsaber should pass right through the photons shot from the blaster. So because on both ends of it, you've got uh, some sort of energized photon activity going on. If you don't have uh, something with mass, uh, like a, a mirrored surface, it would just pass right through. And certainly there'd be an inter interaction with some of the photons, but not enough that it would make any difference. So you might find yourself trying to hold the lightsaber blade up to deflect a blaster, and you would still be hit. Well, Ben, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us uh, next episode where we turn to perhaps uh, something with a little more of a medical uh, background, and that's mechanical prosthetics. So, Ben, I look forward to continuing this conversation. Sounds great, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Science of Star Wars in the Greetings and Felicitations podcast. As I said, this is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Do you have a topic that you would like to explore over a five-part podcast series? It can be anything from history to science to the movies or anything else because you're only limited by your imagination. If so, please contact me and let's discuss 
having a five-part podcast series for you or your business on the Compliance Podcast Network, the only network dedicated to business risk, business ethics, compliance, and risk management. I'm Tom Fox, the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join us again for our next episode on the science of Star Wars.